1: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision.
0: We could be into the deep end once again over this coming hour. As we talk about the gender revolution, you might agree that there is nothing that generates as much heat in the culture wars or as much pain and confusion than our society's transgender revolution. Well, many argue that since the definition of marriage changed back in 2017, there has been a new revolution around relationships and sexuality. A new book called The Gender Revolution offers a much-needed blend of clarity, conviction and compassion. It's described as a roadmap for Christians wishing to engage with their neighbours and a pathway to freedom and hope for those grappling with these issues on a personal level. Dr. Patricia Wirakun is no stranger to this space, and for this latest project, she's collaborated with Robert Smith and her son, Dr. Kamal Wirakun. Their book is called The Gender Revolution, A Biblical, Biological and Compassionate Response. A special special welcome, first of all, to Dr. Patricia Wirakun. Patricia, welcome along.
2: Great to be with you again, Neil.
0: And to Kamal Wirakun, uh, whose PhD research has been in multicultural ministry in a globalised world. Kamal, welcome along to you.
1: Thank you very much, Neil. It's stacks of fun to be here with my mum and with you. And this is so interesting
0: because so let's just start with this because here's a mother and son team And for listeners, uh, very interestingly, Patricia, you are a sexologist. Uh, You love to talk about sex. And some people might say, isn't that uncomfortable talking about these things with your son in the room? Uh, Give us your insight here, because this is something no doubt Kamal has grown up with, uh, your open talk about sex.
2: Well, I have always believed, Neil, that the sex conversation has to start really early. And that's what I did with Kamal. So 47 years later, he's still by my side when I talk about sex.
0: All right. We know yeah, your exactly. age then, Kamal. We know your age. You're 47. And for 47 years, you've grown up in an environment where talking sex has been the norm. And in a Christian household too. And, and uh, I'm not sure of, of the whole history of your faith at all, Patricia. But, but Kamal, you've grown up with this. And you're very comfortable talking about sex and sexuality and gender.
1: Absolutely. In fact, my master's thesis, not my PhD, but my master's thesis was on a biblical concept of sexuality because I think, I mean, not just because of my mom, but because of the Bible, that we as Christians can be out and proud about Jesus and Jesus's attitude to sex and the Bible's attitude to sex. Like it's growing up in a family where my mother knows about sex certainly helped. I won't be You know, I won't back off on that. But everybody who's listening, we have nothing to be ashamed of about the Bible's attitude to sex. Truly, it's something that is wonderful, wholesome and enjoyable.
0: And Patricia, let's talk about the Bible's attitude to sex here just for a few moments and lay a bit of a foundation because this is where we get into all sorts of hot water because the Bible isn't changing anytime soon and anyone who tries to change it, uh, really they come under the ire of everybody in the Christian community. God is the same yesterday, today and forever and he's given us a recipe for sex and sexuality. I wonder how you reflect on having that biblical foundation that isn't going to change. Neil,
2: many people think that the Bible is just a rule book and all God has to say about sex is just don't do it. But in reality, the Bible speaks to the goodness of desire and love and sexual intimacy from the very first book of genesis when we learn that we are created male and female and that beautiful union in the garden of eden when adam first saw eve and the desire of like love at first sight and then we go right through the bible where god's love for his people and then jesus love for his church consummated in Revelation when Jesus returns for his bride as the bridegroom. And of course, right in the middle, eight chapters of erotic lovemaking between husband and wife. Naked, no shame, where love is like a mighty fire that binds man and woman, warming them in the right place, but in the wrong place, destructive. What a beautiful image for man and woman having the best sex for life, a tiny, tiny model of Christ and His Church.
0: Well, I think uh, you know listeners will be inspired to hear you say that, and I'm often saying on this program that Christians are not prudish about talking about sex, uh, but when we do talk about sex, we're talking about sex from the creator's perspective. If you start messing with the creator's perspective, this is where we run into some challenges. And, and look, I'm going to bring Kamal into here, because Kamal, as you say, your master's Uh, dissertation was around issues to do with sexuality and your PhD studies have been in multicultural ministry ministry in a globalized world. Uh, Let me just ask you about the difference that a godly model of sex uh, looks different in the Western world or has done. Uh, And what it looks like in some other parts of the world. I'm. I'm no doubt that you're across these things. Let's just explore this for a moment. What are your thoughts here about a godly model of sex and how it relates to different cultures?
1: Thank you so much, Neil. And I tell you, you're really on to something. In the West, sex has become, in a contradictory way, both sacred to the individual and meaningless. And that's really sad. Basically, in the West, our individuality, our sense that I am going to do life my way and I'm going to define myself, including my sexuality and what it means to please myself, that means that sex means everything and nothing. And people can't work like that. It leads to misery. It leads to meaninglessness. It leads to what we call hookup culture where we view people as merely instruments to satisfy us. And it's not good. It leads to depression. It leads to children out of wedlock who are brought up in the the tragedy. Please don't hear me judging single moms, etc. But the tragedy of single parent families, etc. etc. However, Neil, you're exactly right that actually sex in a non-Western, more traditional context can be used in a way that is sort of dutiful duty d u t y not beautiful not wonderful so especially men can simply demand sexual self gratification and wives women can merely respond to it out of a sense of obligation which merely leads to resentment and a sort of um, a, a sense of a marriage and all of the instead of instead of joy what what more can i say And so yes, both cultures, both sides need to learn from the Bible. And Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives, okay? And wives trust and give to your husband. That is actually the most wonderful image for sex. Not individualism and not the mere obligation either.
0: Patricia, uh, people's attitude to sex and sexuality uh, is changing dramatically. Uh, we might even say it's changing even as our conversation is going. And increasingly, I'm hearing stories of parents who are uh, really devastated by uh, the way their children, uh, even as young as primary years, are being affected by the changes that are going on. Uh, parents are even having the ownership or control uh, or the responsibility for their children even taken off them by governments because of what we might even say is rogue mentalities that go against this biblical foundation of sex between a man and a woman in marriage. Any thoughts here about when God is out of the picture,
2: stuff goes astray. There's two sides to this, Neil. Firstly, there is actual sexual activity, which is what we've been talking about for the, the time we have been together. We were talking about a man and a woman coming together in sexual intimacy. Now that recognizes that there is such a thing as a clearly defined man and woman now as christians we would go right back to genesis and say in the beginning god created man in his image male and female he created them as a sexologist and a biologist I would go back to the science and say that your sex as male or female has been determined from that moment when sperm and ovum fuse in your mother's womb. And from that moment, you are clearly a male or a female. Now, today's culture has confused that very basic part of our created good and there lies the basis of our confusion and actually what we would call the current cultural revolution
3: life culture and current events from a
0: biblical perspective 2020 on vision it is good to be into a conversation all about sex and uh, I didn't mention anything earlier some parents might be concerned that this sort of conversation might be a little more mature uh, than little ears deserve so if that is a concern for you although I don't think we're into anything that is particularly uh, damaging or dangerous but uh, just take that on board if you are a parent our two special guests Dr Patricia Wirakoon who is a Christian sexologist uh, who says she has twin passions, God and sex. And her son is also our guest today, Dr. Kamal Wirrakun. He has a PhD in multicultural ministry in a globalised world, and he's got some earlier studies uh, around sexuality. Patricia, let me come to you because the title of your book is The Gender Revolution. Biblical, biological and compassionate response. Let's talk about gender and why you are writing about gender at this time.
2: Neil, we are at a very, very critical time when our culture is totally confused as to what gender and sexuality and identity mean. And that's why we called it the revolution, because there seems to be this revolution against biology and, of course, against the biblical truth. So we wanted to provide a countercultural narrative, which is why we called it the gender revolution. We want Christians and non Christians who wish to join us and read the book to understand that there is a better way. Of understanding gender and identity. So in the book, we basically have a foundation, kind of what we call the root system based on science and the word of God. And then we talk about the four aspects of biology, which you can never change. You are born, you are Determined in your mother's womb as male or female, you are born as male or female, and that's what you stay all your life. And then we talk about how behavior can vary, but it does not determine your biology or your identity. And we talk about how this so called new, unempirically supported concept of this authentic inner soul of your feeling has taken over biology and behavior and even sexual attraction and confused people, language, education and in many places parental rights being abrogated.
0: Patricia, you might say scientifically, uh, there's not much doubt uh, the sex, uh, the, the science has got sex sorted. But it's this gender issue, and as you're using words like identity, this seems to be where the real confusion lies. And I wonder if we were talking a little deeper about gender, because this is the sort of thing that people say is fluid and you can change and even change your birth certificates you know one year to the next you can do whatever you like and of course that has ramifications but let's talk about this gender and the way that society today thinks it is fluid what's a good way of approaching that
2: the best way of approaching it is to look at the terms And look at the confusion in the terms. The confusion between sex and gender goes right back to like the 1960s, 70s with the scientists like John Money, who introduced the term. Now, at the beginning, when we were studying sexology at the beginning, I'm talking 1980s, we had a clear differentiation. Sex meant biology. You are born you are determined in your mother's womb, male, female, and that was sex. Gender was something that was more culturally determined, and it be and it was how you presented yourself as male or female. We call that gender behavior. Now that was clear. Now, this now has morphed into gender being taken over to mean something that your inner feelings say you are. So it's like you have this inner feeling that says you are male, female, or something in between like gender non-binary or maybe agender, that is you have no gender. So you can choose your whatever your identity is so that lies the confusion there is biological sex and people think they have an inner identity which has absolutely no proof you cannot be born in the wrong body the
1: way that i uh, image it and remember i'm a preacher so i'm into imagery is that Now our biological sex has become like a set of clothes. Oh, I don't like this set of clothes. It's out of fashion. I don't feel comfortable. I'm going to change my body. That's tragic. Again, if there's anyone who's listening who has gender dysphoria or you've got children who are questioning their gender, please don't hear either of us to be like judging and oppressing you or your children or your friends. But there is a tragedy in treating our bodies as disposable. In fact,
0: I'll often say uh, Christians are the friends of people who have this confusion because no one else is actually speaking up about the lifelong medicalization that happens if you don't actually try and contain some of these issues. This is a challenging thing, isn't it? And Patricia Wirrikoon, people right now, parents are actually fearful right now of what their children might say in a classroom and risk even have them taken away, uh, put on all sorts of uh, blockers and uh, even introduced into a lifelong medicalization. Uh, there's no one other than the Christians who are speaking up in this in this space. What are your thoughts for parents who are fearful like that? Uh,
2: my first thought is to say to parents, you are right to be concerned because your children are being exposed. And let's call it what it is to the transgender ideology at a very young age. So what I would say to parents is firstly, be prepared. Don't be anxious, but take the time to prepare yourself for the eventuality because it is not they may be exposed. But in today's culture, your children will be exposed. the ideology so prepare yourself read find out what's happening and know something about what the transgender ideology is that's the first thing be prepared secondly start early in talking to your children about god's good vision for male female and coming together as man and woman for the best sexual intimacy Talk early. Neil, we have just put out a book that can be read with preschoolers. We did this at the request of parents because we have to start early. So be prepared, prepare your children, and be aware that as they grow up and get into their brain development of confusion and puberty, the social media and their friends And school teaching can sow seeds of confusion. You as parents need to be the source of truth and reality in their life.
0: Kamal, only a couple of minutes out from news. We might assume that a mature society should be able to manage those incidents of fluidity that happen in adults. It's when the adults become activists and our children become targets, this becomes a major challenge. Uh, what's your thought here? Are we in the middle
1: of that now? Our children are now targets? Well, the children and, and parents in the, and everybody, in the sense that transgender ideology has become what I think honestly, is kind of colonialist and imperialist. This is why we called our book The Gender Revolution. It's actually a kind of double-sided reference. The way that people are expected to simply affirm this supposed gender identity, this reality, supposed reality and truth inside of ourselves, with no tolerance, with no respect, for pushback and a, a different way of thinking. That is not good. That is also therefore being now taught and imposed upon our children in a way that is quite destructive and frankly dangerous. As you already intimated, the way that children are being taught that changing their gender is a panacea, a solution to everything. Therefore, children who are autistic, children who are just a little bit eccentric. They think that they are transgender and they are told that it's a very simple, and this is not true, hormone treatment is not simply reversible, it's not a fun surgery, you're seriously changing your whole body, it could destroy your ability to have children forever, and they are being told like untruths in ways that are just tragic. We must be therefore Children of the Counter-Revolution.
0: Let me come to issues here, Patricia and Kamal, around clarity and confusion, because there is a unique contribution that you're trying to make with your new book, If I come to you, Kamal, on clarity and confusion, uh, what are your thoughts here about the sort of need that there is in a society right now? Because we mentioned just before the news, we've all of a sudden become the countercultural ones. It used to be that the sexual push was a countercultural response to uh, what was a norm. Now we're on the countercultural
1: side. What are your thoughts here about clarity? Absolutely. Now, part of the tragedy of the whole transgender way of thinking is that people now genuinely believe that subjective feelings can override or the objective reality of our biology. And people have even confused, now here's one of the amazing, confusing and slightly hilarious things about our current cultural moment. Lesbian, gay and bisexual people are feeling oppressed by the transgender movement because transgender also mixes up sexual orientation, sexual feelings, who you want to have sex with, with the biology of your like sexual body, and also with that internal, subjective, unscientific sense of I am this gender identity. So at least three things become mushed together, like uh, some sort of you know, just a, just a, a, a muddle. What we are trying to do in our book is give clarity about the goodness, the rightness of knowing ourselves in all these different aspects rooted in, we use the image of a tree, rooted in the goodness of our biology, the way God has made us. That is the clarity. <laughs>
0: Patricia, isn't it the case that right now uh, LGB is trying to divorce itself from T and uh, as Kamal says, uh, the, uh, the I and the A and uh, all of the other pluses probably want to divorce themselves from the T because the T is running rogue in this whole argument. What are your thoughts here uh, that there is such animosity now between uh, those different ones in the alphabet?
2: It it goes back, as Kamal said, to the confusion. And firstly, it starts with the confusion of language. Let me very briefly touch on biology. Now, we can't even define what is a woman anymore. I mean, politicians, even medics, are confused or apparently confused and cannot define a woman. So biology, the language of biology becomes important. A woman, I'll just choose woman because that's where the confusion, is what we call an adult human female. A woman is someone who's got the body characteristics of genitalia and the gonad, the ovary, to produce eggs, what we call a large gamete. That is something that is biology 101 in primary school. But today, people are confused with that. So, the first thing is a tiny proportion of people, 0.018, have disorders of sex development. This is a disorder. Unfortunately, that's been given the word intersex. And intersex, then, is being used by the ideologist to say that, oh, there's male and female, and there's this third thing, an intersex. No, there is male and female, and there's a tiny proportion of disorders. And even there, the majority could be identified clearly as male or female. Now, that intersex, therefore, people who actually have the disorder are saying, wait. We don't want to be part of this alphabet soup. Leave us out of it. We are not transgender. Some of them, few of them may say we are confused. But in general, we don't want to belong to that alphabet soup. Now, when it comes to the lesbian, gay, bisexual, it gets really interesting because I follow as most 76-year-olds undoubtedly do. Twitter feeds early morning. And I follow the Twitter feeds of a lot of lesbian, gay, bisexual, atheists. Clearly, they'll say they're atheists, But they are fighting against the fact that especially lesbians, as Kamal said, lesbians are being told, you must have sex with a male who identifies as a female even if he's carrying all his genitalia, his baggage with him. He now identifies as female. If you as a lesbian do not have sex with him, you are a transphobic bigot. And the second thing that the LGB are fighting against, and this is so real, we have a correlation between children who are likely to grow up to be same-sex attracted and gender non-conforming behavior. This is the very effeminate little boy may grow up to be same-sex attracted. The more butch girl may, may grow up. Not necessarily, but may. And these children are now being told if you're an effeminate little boy, you are a girl. And if you're a kind of more masculine girl, a tomboy is a boy. This is said. And the LGB lobby say this is trancing the gay Away, it's a new form of conversion therapy. It's so sad. So they are coming out. Ah, we now have strange bedfellows. Yeah, and who did the, the
1: revolution? And look, folks, uh, if you want to talk, if uh, any uh, listeners want to talk about same-sex attraction, etc., we we can. But nothing that we're saying here is contradicting the biblical standards on whom we sh- could have sex with. Our point is just to make the observation. That, like I said before, transgender ideology is imperialistic. It seeks to take control of everything. And if I may briefly comment also, the thing with our bodies and intersex and disorders with sexual development, science has mapped the way that our internal and external genitalia develop and therefore We can use the language of a disorder, a malfunction in normal development. That science is now being criticized as false, oppressive, etc. The Christians, we can make a stand for science. We can make a stand for science. And interesting, just to pick up on
0: one thing that uh, is certainly new in this conversation, Uh, The thought of conversion therapy. Now, conversion therapy is something that Christians have been the target for uh, because going to a Christian counsellor, someone will say there is male and there is female. This is the way God made man and woman. And uh, even down to praying for people who have a same-sex attraction that they no longer want uh, becomes outlawed. And that's called conversion therapy. What you have just highlighted so, so powerfully is that it's likely to implode almost on the other side because conversion therapy has been what the LGBTQI is now enforcing. Is that a, a right way of, of talking about that development? Is this for you, Kamal? Well, the
1: the way that I think about it is that conversion therapy as a as the, the words conversion therapy are being used in a censorious manner. That is, people are no longer as you say, Neil, people, Christian or otherwise, are not even allowed to give a contradictory opinion. And that is the problem. If someone genuinely wants to have sex with someone else of the same sex, if they're not calling themselves a Christian, etc., we as Christians can say that is not only not godly, but from a scientific and biological sense, it is because, again, the science, and you don't even really need to go beyond high school, okay, Um, PDHB classes and science classes for this, the structure of our bodies and our genitalia it is good and healthy for a man to have sex with a woman it leads to pleasure and it leads to babies in a way that a woman having sex with a woman and a man having sex with a man does not lead to the same consequences okay now anyway we are al- allowed to we, we should be allowed to say that and to argue for it now if people don't want to listen to us and don't want to live according to what we say It's a free country. They can do what they like. But now, so-called conversion therapy is being used to even stifle good faith, like statements, arguments. That is not living in a free country anymore. That is the kind of thing that migrants like the two of us left places like Sri
2: Lanka to escape. But I think we need to add here that what the transgender lobby has done is picked this conversion therapy, which was used to mean converting people who are same-sex attracted, which is what Kamal was talking about, and now morph that into meaning that if your child is confused about or even uncomfortable about their body and you would like to take them to a counselor and have some exploratory therapy done here. It's called gender exploratory therapy that would be considered conversion therapy if somebody was confused about their body and yes there are people we accept it we i was working with people in clinics in hawaii in 1980 men who were confused about their body they would say i am a man but i'm uncomfortable with my body i want to change it to look like and like a woman that we used to call transsexual now today if someone who's uncomfortable with their body like teenagers which there's a huge explosion now of young teens especially girls getting confused and uncomfortable with their body if they come and even ask for help and you as a doctor a psychotherapist a counselor anyone or a minister say i will talk to you about it or I will pray with you about it that can be considered conversion therapy and that is being made illegal it's a confusion of terminologies hijacking of language and this is what parents need to be really aware of
0: if you hijack the language you hijack the culture we're taking calls on one 316 Alan's been waiting patiently Alan in Adelaide welcome along Thank you very much indeed. Your thoughts, Alan?
3: Um, I uh, I became interested in this gender dysphoria um, early last year when um, uh, I read a book, and, and still am reading it, it's so hard to read, uh, Irreversible Damage by uh, Abigail Schreier in America. And it so moved me that... I actually wrote to uh, state, uh, South Australian and federal leaders and ministers for health and sought a response from each one of them. And um, what it boiled down to is that i got a lot of political quads um, wallop. And ultimately, what happened is that um, I, I received a letter from uh, uh She is a good child and she made a reference to the fact that in Australia there was a uh, Royal Australian College of Physicians recommendation that the gender dysphoria argument not be taken to the masses because it was too delicate and confusing and whatever other things they included in there. But there was another recommendation that has been completely ignored and if I can read that paragraph... Uh, To facilitate the development of a robust evidence base, the RACP suggests that the Australian government consider coordinating and providing funding for research on the long-term outcomes for the care and treatment of gender dysphoria and funds development of an outcome database to develop our knowledge and understanding of the long-term outcomes for children and adolescents. Now, that was in 2019 and I've written to a Goodchild and asked how much has actually been put aside to research this factually. Um, i wrote that in December 2022.
0: And the suspicion and is that, uh, nothing. that nothing has been allocated. Uh, let's get a thought or two here. I know, Patricia, you're across this. Uh, it's Abigail Schreier. Uh, let's get your thoughts here for Alan.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Alan. I mean, I wish there were like thousands of people like you in australia we need people like you abigail shrier's book is an amazing book it's a she is a woman who's traveling and speaking she's a diminutive little woman and she speaks all over and she has to have police custody uh, sorry police protection when she speaks because the lobby is so against what she's saying. She's basically saying the ideology has hijacked out girls, the huge number of young girls who are uncomfortable with puberty and just saying, I'm trans, I'm a boy. They go, they get testosterone in like a couple of meetings with a doctor and endocrinologist and 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds having their perfectly healthy breasts removed. This is happening in Australia and across the world. Now, what you read, what Alan read from the the politician and the recommendations for research and evidence based treatment is now being picked up. Like just yesterday, the NHS in England said that they were withdrawing using puberty blockers and cross sex hormones in clinics. Sweden, Norway, Finland are all coming out and saying, we will no longer just use these unevidence-based medication and treatment. Australia is lagging behind, I'm afraid, that we have to accept and confirming that only affirmation of a child's felt this kind of unmeasurable felt identity. In other words, a little girl who says I am a boy must be affirmed as a boy and started on that pathway. So sad. Other countries are pushing back. We haven't still started. Alan,
0: I want to thank you so much for a good contribution and we haven't gotten actually more time for more calls, so we won't take more calls. I do want to touch on something very important, though, before we uh, just give listeners a way that they can pre order your new book, which is offering that clarity today. But I want to touch on pronouns for a few moments because, you know, there's this controversy that goes around whether someone who is identifying differently ought to be called by a different pronoun, he or she or they or them, those sorts of things. It does appear to be one way that the propaganda, spreads and the revolution the sexual revolution uh is enhanced if i come to you kamal is this something where you can identify why is this pronoun controversy
1: happening is that the reason why okay well it goes back again to that one-sided focus on subjective identification so if a person feels that they are a male, they demand, never mind what their biology is, they not only demand to be called by a new name, they not only demand to dress, etc., and be accepted, they not only demand uh, to go into the sex, single sex spaces like toilets, but now we have to call them by the pronoun. Now that's a problem. In the book, we say, generally speaking, okay, if a person really is adamant about Addressing by pronouns, simply avoid it by calling them by their name. And here's why. A pronoun, he or she, the whole use of the pronoun is meant to refer to the person as a class of people, as a group of people, as men or women. Scientifically, historically, as a culture, not just Western culture, okay, all cultures have men, women. Men and women may behave differently, dress differently, but all cultures in the world have men and women. And obviously, in the Bible, the Bible says there are men and women. He and she, the use of those pronouns, they are meant to provide clarity and meant to respect all of those rightful differences, even within cultures, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, however, however, a person's name, a person can call themselves what they like. And even in the Bible, there's no strict identification of a a name with a particular sex. Taylor Swift. I'll tell you honestly, I'm not used to Taylor being a girl's name. But I mean, you know, she wants, she's very feminine and she wants to call herself Taylor. Okay. Therefore, we say just use the person's name. Resist that imposition of the pronoun and the way that people demand it is again an aspect of that imperialism, that intolerance. Now, mom, you say that there may be a time of sort of emergency and crisis.
2: Yeah, as a sexologist, or if there are counselors listening, or even teachers or pastors, there could be a time when someone walks into the church and they may be really distressed. And in that time of severe distress, there may be a place for using their preferred pronoun as a temporary stopgap. While they understand that you as a Christian believe male and female as the way they have to be, either a male or a female, that to help that critical moment, you could use the pronouns. But we would say resist using it for other people and resist with being forced to use it yourself because if you when you start using pronouns you are kind of projecting that you believe and buy into the ideology the transgender ideology and that we resist for clarity
0: So a resistance to pronouns actually is the best place to be. Use a name instead of the pronoun, but don't be uh, so uh, dogmatic uh, that if you have someone who is distressed uh, that you would not use uh, their preferred pronoun. So uh, there's some common sense uh, to mix into uh, how you might take a position there. Time has run out. We've been talking about a brand new book. Now, the brand new book is not yet on the bookshelves right now. My suspicion is this is the sort of book that every Christian household might want to get a hold of if you're facing these sorts of issues and these controversies. The book is called The Gender Revolution. Now, it's a countercultural book because if we talk about sexual revolutions or cultural revolutions, here's something that you can use as something which is going to be a solid platform. The Gender Revolution, a biblical, biological, and compassionate response. You're able to pre-order that book. You can pre-order through Matthias Media. Now, that's spelt M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S, Media. That'll be the publisher's Matthias Media. You can pre-order. You may be able to pre-order too when you're ordering online. Our two special guests today, Dr. Patricia Wirakoon, a sexologist, and her son, Dr. Kamal Wirakoon, whose uh, PhD is in multicultural ministry in a globalised world. He is a minister of the gospel. Uh, What a great conversation this is, and for listeners... This conversation will be available in a podcast uh, later on this afternoon in audio, perhaps later later on this afternoon, even on YouTube. So keep an eye out for it. Dr. Patricia Weirakoon and Dr. Kamal Wirrakun, an outstanding contribution today. Thank you to the two of you. Patricia, thank you for being with us on 2020.
2: Thank and, you very much. It's always an honor to be with you,
0: Neil. And Kamal, thank you for being with us
1: on 2020. Thank you very much. That was most fun. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.